Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Offbeat Grad. Happy Thursday. Today, I'm talking to a previous guest we've had several times. Her name is Sarah Miller of Sarah Strives, and she is actually a full-time graphic designer, and she recently did a whole post for SamanthaBullity.com all about how to become a full-time graphic design freelancer. And since I love to talk to freelancers on this podcast, but I've actually never had a designer on, we're going to chat today about how to become a freelance graphic designer, or if you already are one, how to improve your business, etc. So even if you're not a freelance graphic designer, if you're interested in design, or you're a freelancer in any capacity, you could probably find some value in this episode. So let's get into it. Hey guys, I am Sarah. I've been on this pad- podcast, what, is this my third time? Um, I think so. And I mostly blog about lifestyle and mental health stuff, but I am also a freelancer. I do mostly graphic design, but I've also been kind of experimenting with web design and a little bit of social media marketing. So, um, yeah, I guess that's about it. <laughs> a jack of all trades. So, yeah, I like to talk to different freelancers, and I've only talked to freelance writers. So let's get the other side of the story here with the <laughs> graphic design, which I anticipate is very similar to um, writing, but it's there are a lot of specifics to it that I don't think you would know unless you were in the industry, so I thought it would be good to chat with you in case anyone listening was interested in dabbling in graphic design. And I think graphic design is funky today because there's so many free tools and like logo builders, quote unquote, and like random, like, I mean, it's the same in writing because now we have AI tools that can like write articles for right. you. So like, we're all here. It's just confusing and frustrating because you have a lot of small businesses and like solo entrepreneurs who start to think like, oh, I don't need to pay for this or I don't need to pay a lot for this because I can just go to like Wix.com and like generate a logo in like 20 seconds and like what makes this product better than the free one or like something I can just like hire the 12 year old down the street. So like (laughs) these are questions that all the freelancers are dealing with. So let's talk about it. So you recently did a wonderful post on my blog, which everyone should go read because it's way more in depth than this podcast will be. But it's all about how you became a freelance graphic designer and you cover some like pretty interesting things that you probably wouldn't think about unless you were already doing it. So you basically nailed it down to six tips, basically, to become a freelance graphic designer. And so before we even get into that, like, what are the prereqs? What do you need to get started? Do you need experience? Do you need a degree? Like, who would be a good fit for this position? You definitely don't need a degree. My (laughs) degree is not even in graphic design. Um, But you have an arts degree, do you I do have an arts degree, so I do have some background. It's definitely still relevant, and I was able to take some classes that did have to do with graphic design. Mm-hmm. But I did not go nearly as in-depth in school as the people in the program that was, like, actually for graphic, graphic design. design. Yeah. I just didn't know that's what I wanted to do until, like, halfway through school and I wasn't going to start over, so. Yeah, no, don't start over. If you're listening to this and you're like, now I need to start over, never start over. Just finish. Get a degree in whatever. Right. And if you you can always take elective classes that are more within your interests. Yeah. Or even get certified after graduating. Like I take classes online all the time that are unrelated to my degree and I feel just as qualified if I had spent and I saved twenty thousand dollars. So look at that. Yes. <laughs> So you definitely don't need a degree. I find that most designers I know that are successful actually don't have degrees in graphic design. Same with writing. It just doesn't matter. Like, I I don't know. A lot of, at least the people in my circle, like, they don't, they don't have degrees. Some of them didn't even go to college. Mm-hmm. I think that's totally true. Um, and then you definitely obviously need access to Adobe. That's industry standard. I really, if you're going to start doing freelance graphic design, please, for the love of God, do not be using Canva. Uh, although, weirdly enough, in the VA circles, like, because I'm in some VA groups, a lot of them, people hiring will look specifically for, like, virtual assistants who know great, like, Canva. But I do agree, if you're going to market yourself, like, explicitly as a graphic designer, you need to push beyond that. Yeah. Definitely. Like, if you, it just doesn't work very well. I think Canva is great for VAs when you're just looking for something simple like that. And totally. 
It has a lot of limitations. Yes, there's so many limitations, and it's just like, I can't believe... So I actually started in Canva, not selling my services, but that's how I started learning. Like, Yeah, I think there's a lot of the tools transfer over, so... Definitely. Learning the basics in something much simpler like Canva could help you learn Adobe faster. Definitely, definitely, definitely. It's just like, it's not something you should be selling your services from. Like and you can get a very cheap Adobe subscription if you're still in college. I yes. would like to throw that out there. They have, I, I'm going to say $29.99. It might have even been $10.99 just for the smaller package, which is um, Lightroom and Photoshop. Um, I have the full one because I use InDesign. But I think um, you can get a great college discount. So if you still have that sweet EDU e- email address, like take yeah. advantage of that. Definitely. The one thing to be careful of with that is that when I was reading super technically, when you're using the student version, you're not supposed to be like selling anything that you use. Okay. Well, we'll pretend we didn't read that. I don't think Adobe's not going to come at you for exactly. that. Exactly. Like really? <laughs> come on. It's I. So the for me, when I did the student discount, I think it was $20 for the full cloud for each each month um, for a year, and then it went up to, with tax, like 30-something. Yeah, I pay 30-something. Yeah, and I think um, I'm still paying 30-something, so. I am too. I think it's worth it, though. I use it all the time. Oh, I do too. Absolutely. And I'm not even a graphic designer, so. <laughs> yeah, and I would say if you're trying to be a freelance graphic designer, you do need the full suite. Um, generally Photoshop just doesn't cut it, especially if you're trying to delve into logo design, you want Illustrator. People or are... print, print, you need that InDesign, y'all. I yes. tried to use this free program called Scrivenger, which, ooh, it was like fighting with the wildebeest. It was so hard to use it because it was free, but oh, it was a rough day. But InDesign is wonderful if you're doing prints, so don't, don't try to yes, skimp yeah. out. Yeah, just, just do it. Usually it's worth it, especially if you're charging enough. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole other topic I know you've addressed quite a bit. Yes, enough, and it's but... in. we're going to talk about it again. So... <laughs> um, it's important. So, yeah, I guess having access to that kind of stuff, um, the design tools you need, and no, you don't need a degree. And I think it's important to know if you're actually good at design or not, because there's a lot of designers out there that shouldn't be designers just because you can use photoshop or whatever doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you should be a graphic designer if that makes any sense i find a lot of people i think it does lack that like eye for design and that i think honestly for me having art classes that are like even just the basics really helped influence my eye and just i have that trained eye for design that Mm -hmm. I think that's true in any type of like I and as a writer I see a lot of writers who I think shouldn't be writers um and I do think there's a component that's experience and a component that's also just natural talent do you have the ability I do think you can compensate with this by um learning on youtube there are some wonderful what I like to do when I don't know something with design is I go on youtube and I google like typography like how to do xyz and i just go through the whole tutorial and then using someone who does know like the fundamentals of design as sort of like a teacher in that instance can like help you understand those things so i do totally agree with you and i don't think you should just jump into the design if you've never (laughs) done any type of like basic understanding of what that even means for sure and it's definitely something like I as much as I took some design classes in college that were like actual like on the computer design classes I think there was only one that was actually like geared towards people that were like doing it for like making visually pretty things so thing it was uh computers and art or something like that um Mm -hmm. and that was the only one I could take in the art school I also took some learning technology classes, so that was more about learning how to communicate information visually, which is actually really, really helpful for graphic design, so I highly recommend if you're still in school taking one of those classes, um, because it's less about, oh, what's visually appealing, and it's more about communicating, which is a lot of what you're going to be doing as a freelance graphic designer, whether it be with logos, you're communicating what a brand is and kind of like giving a visual representation of some message that you're trying to communicate. 
or if you're putting together a flyer or whatever. It's all about making sure all of that information is coming through. Um, yeah. So definitely a good way to learn a little bit more. But really, I was mostly self-taught outside of that. I learned mm-hmm. a lot by Googling things. <laughs> Googling is such a skill. It was just like, okay, I want to do this. I'm sure there's a way. How can I do that? Like, and just, that's how I learned the programs. Because um, most of, I think the class I took, we mostly worked in Photoshop. Um, but I taught myself Illustrator which was hard. Illustrator is a monster <laughs> um, to deal with at times. Uh, I'm trying to think what other... I taught myself InDesign. I hadn't used that in a class before when I needed to start using it. So that mm-hmm. was fun. But I guess, yeah, you want some experience going in for sure. And I think it's really important to practice with those programs before you start offering your services. So you, you yeah, know you totally. have a skill. <laughs> So totally. So then one of the first things you said you need to do is to actually build some kind of design portfolio, which is true of any type of freelancer, but especially in design, because people want to see that you can't just like, because anyone can say like, oh, I'm a great graphic design is my passion. But like, how, how often is that true? So you need to show that is the case. So where do you find like these practice opportunities you speak of? Like, are you working with free or low cost clients? Or are you just creating projects based on like fictional situations? Like, how would you recommend starting to build a portfolio if you've never worked with clients before, or you don't have a degree and like four years of graphic design portfolio behind you? Right. So I, what I did first is, so I kind of like fell into my first client on accident. I had been doing some design in classes and a little bit, um, for I'd been doing stuff for blog stuff um and then I kind of just stumbled upon somebody I had been thinking about offering graphic design services let's go back (laughs) um and I ended up finding somebody on Facebook who was actually one of my old teachers her son was working on this project for a book he was putting together and was looking for a graphic designer to lay it out it was a very like quote art type situation so it wasn't like a just like formatting written like just text it was like yeah kind of more formatting text to be really visually interesting um so I ended up working with him and then I was like oh I can do this I can like get paid to do this part of the blogging thing that I like um because I was very much into the design aspect of blogging at the time um And I started looking on Facebook for clients, I guess. I was in several blogging groups, and people, I think a couple years ago, were more often posting and being like, hey, I'm looking for a designer. And go add my name and be like, here, I'll do it for like X amount of money that was way too cheap. (laughs) Yes. Looking back, I mean, I, I wasn't very good at the time, I'll admit, when I started, like, God, I look back at my old designs and it's just so bad. It's so cringe. But I think that's normal within most industries. You look back at your old work and you're just kind of like... Everything I made is amazing. I don't know what you're talking (laughs) (laughs) about. No, I think that's true and that's fine. I think it's okay to offer low cost or even work on a volunteer basis within reason. Like you need parameters here. Like don't just be like, I will work for you indefinitely. Yes, I will not accept pay. But like if you have one specific project, that's a great way to build your portfolio. Definitely. And I also worked through, I have linked in the blog post, this website called Symbi. That's like a trading services type platform that like Uh doesn't involve any real money. And that was really helpful for me because I got to work with a client who was paying me. You paid with like Symbi currency or whatever. Wow. You would earn that and then you could use it to like buy other services. And sometimes it was like products, like digital products, Mm -hmm. um, recipes and that kind of stuff. It was interesting. interesting. Um, It was kind of cool. It was a good way for me to get started and understand like working with clients without involving like actual actual money um yeah. so that's still functional I actually checked because I was like is this still like a thing and so that's a good place to start honestly because there's a lot of people looking for logo design for their blogs and businesses and whatever um so start there um 
I know Upwork is a good place to start. I used Upwork some when I started out, but I do find it to be fairly difficult to find clients through there, especially when you first start out and if you don't. Yeah. Oh, when you first start out, it's the worst. Yeah. It's definitely rough. It's, I know you and I think you and Amanda did an episode on. We did. We talked all about Upwork. So listen to that one. Um, I used to be not about Upwork and now I'm more about Upwork. So yeah, it's, it'd be like that. (laughs) I don't know why it's like that, but it is. Yeah. I don't know, but definitely just start there. Um, there's some that are not so great, but I would say if you're going to use any platform to like pitch jobs, like go with Upwork, other stuff can be a little sketchy. So, um, yes, I also had other lists of places that I have like shilled my own services on. Um, Angel List is great. It's for mostly startups. So you'll find a range of budgets there. Some of them are really big startups and then other ones are really small, like with one or two people. So a lot of them might be looking for other beginners. So Angel List is a great place. It's like angel.co, I believe. And then Facebook groups specifically for like small businesses, blogging, things like that are great. Also, I would recommend looking in like local Facebook groups for like local businesses. If you're like, I live in a pretty big city, so I know there's a lot of local business Facebook groups and that's a good place to connect with people locally. And then LinkedIn is also another great one. And sometimes people will pitch you directly through there if you create a profile that's like very niche down to your graphic design business. So that's a good place to start. And then let's talk about pricing because that's the next big question here. So let's assume you've built yourself a portfolio. Maybe you took one or two free gigs and now you're ready to start charging money. Like you know what you're doing enough now. So you said that you have to be really careful with this and you talked about like some mistakes that you made. Specifically, you said you gave a few clients a discount and this was like a slippery slope. So talk about the discount problem. Okay, so... (laughs) When I first started, I had one client that I had found through Facebook that wanted two logos. She wanted, she had two different businesses going on. So I was like, oh, I'll do one like, this is really bad, but I did like buy one, get one half off or something ridiculous where it was like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like you could, I could see how if you didn't know, you'd be like, that's, that's a smart, savvy business right. choice. Because it it's like what you would see at Target. So you're like, yes. But in reality, it's probably not the best decision. No, not a good idea. Don't do it. Um, But a lot of it was just that, like, that was, like, an awful experience. That was one of my first, like, clients that I just was like, I hate this. I never want to do this again. And this is awful. Me every day when I talk to someone. (laughs) It was bad. And she, I mean, it was just sort of this weird thing because she basically wasn't happy with it and then said she was and then I came back to ask her for a testimonial and then she was like actually I don't like it anymore what the heck okay cool but it's just this like because I was discounted so much it's like she just had this lessened like amount of respect for me because that's exactly it cheaper so it was like oh yeah you're not worth as much so clearly you're not as like respectable or as like that's exactly what it is or whatever but it was just kind of a bad thing and it's also sort of a thing with devaluing your work you Mm -hmm. don't want to devalue that like oh it's so (laughs) um I mean even within the industry like when you're charging so little it's really really hard for other designers that deserve to make more money yep to get that um and i still i mean i run into this when if i'm looking for a new client it's a lot harder to compete because there's people that are offering much cheaper services and people that aren't designers don't understand like just because they say they're a designer doesn't mean that just because they're cheaper you should hire them that doesn't mean they're better <laughs> like it doesn't yeah, mean they're it good doesn't. It doesn't. Um, so it's just important to really like consider how you're pricing yourself and not devalue yourself and not offer discounts because I was reading um you are about us at making money um and they there's this whole part in the book where she was talking about how she used to offer coaching services to friends and would give them like a friend discount and she was like when they're 
not putting as much money in, they don't have as much on the line. So they're mm-hmm. not putting in what they need to make it work. It's just you lose that value. You lose that sense of urgency that you have when you're pricing things appropriately. That's so true. And I listed two different ways to price yourself appropriately. Um, hourly and per project. So like which would you actually are different than me because as a freelance writer, I usually prefer to go per project because hourly is difficult because sometimes there's a lot of research or editing involved and it's hard to really estimate that. And also sometimes, honestly, I'm going to say the truth. Honestly, it rarely takes me over an hour to write anything. And then I would be devaluating myself because I know that it takes me an hour to write 2,000 words because I have sat here every single day for three years typing 50,000 words a week. So, like, I know how to write really fast. I know how to research really fast. I have an education in this. So, like, that's why. So, when they pay me, they're paying me for all of my years of experience leading up to this moment, not just that hour of my time. But, on the other hand, with when you're doing a design service, I could see the argument for why hourly might be better especially if you need a ton of revisions or you end up like you don't necessarily know how long the project would take. I could see why you would want that kind of protection built in pace. So like, give me, give me the argument. The reason I charge hourly right now with my projects is that we, that I am working with. So most, my biggest client right now is an association management company. So they manage different like trade associations and nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And there's so many voices going on with that sort of thing that it's almost impossible to nail down specific projects because you never know how many revisions yeah, you're exactly. going to do. There's literally times where I do something and then they're like, it's perfect, let's go, which does not happen all that often. Let's be real. There's always revisions, but um, sometimes there's times that I go through literally like 10 plus revisions oh on my something. God. So it's always... It's usually worth my while to be charging by the hour in that yeah, case. Yeah, for that sure. That being said, generally it can be better to charge by project if you are, especially if you're working with a client that you don't necessarily know mm-hmm. very well, um, that doesn't, where you don't have that like trust between each other because you can run into issues where they're like, well, were you really working? Yeah, see, that's, that's my issue hours. is I don't want to run into that. Um, but I also, I write in the number of revisions, which I would recommend anyone do writing in the number of, I mean, obviously if you're working through like an agency or something else, you go by their rules sometimes, but like if you're by yourself, just working with a business one-on-one, like in your contract, you should definitely write in the number of revisions. I allow up to three. If they want more than that, I'm going to charge an additional fee. So that might run into a situation where you have a flat rate up to three revisions after that point they're going to start paying you hourly for that time something like that just to protect yourself because if you're charging per project and they do this scope creep thing where suddenly the project is growing and growing and you're like Mm -hmm. what's happening then that ain't that ain't a good time so then i hourly would protect you in that case right and for this it's just like this is a client that i've literally known for literally my entire life because it's through somebody that I know. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I, I'm i not super stressed about the hourly thing being awkward. It's It works fine for this particular situation. But usually I would do per project. And I my number when I was doing a lot of per project stuff was uh, three revisions. I would do yeah, three Yeah, I think three is a good it number. it was an additional fee. Because three kind of gets you through, okay, well... The first one's going to have big edits. The second one would have, might have minor edits. And then you might do, like, finishing touches. Something like that. Right. Something where it's like, okay, really? Like, we're really... Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you're able to count down the number, you can be like, you have one revision left. And the client is going to take that more seriously when they're thinking of, like, what do we really want to change here? Rather than being exactly. like, I can just keep going forever. And like then they'll which is really yeah they'll pull that like I want it like this oh just kidding I actually wanted it like you had it the first time like go back no one needs yeah. that in their life so give me a number as the lowest of the low hourly rate you would say a beginner should charge oh, I gave a number in the article but you can give your own number I gave 20 an hour as an absolute newbie I would say I think that's actually around where I started. I think that's a fair number. Think about when I started pricing stuff out Mm -hmm. because it's slightly less than like the cost for Adobe. True. Um, So as long as you bill more than more than one hour, yeah, they're like you're fine. 
Yes, um, good point. And that's kind of where I started with my pricing. And I'm at a spot where it's about time for me to raise my rates. Mm-hmm. I'm just nervous about it. I feel you. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of debating on that and how I want to handle that. So it may be that for me, I'm going to raise it for future clients, but not necessarily my current client right this I've second. I've done that. Just because I think of that what can we're doing. Work. Yeah, just depends. But um, yeah, I would say $20 an hour at the lowest because you have to consider the costs you're covering. Yep. A lot it's of admin not, costs. Yes, because you're not working an hourly job where they pay for everything. It's something where you're covering the costs of the software you need. You have to make sure that your computer is up to date and functional. Internet, <laughs> um, Wi Fi. Right, all of that. So that's something you have to consider in your pricing. There's a ton of great articles online for like how to literally price that out and figure out yeah, totally. how much to charge by the hour. Um, the big thing here is don't think of like your local job in the area as a graphic designer might get paid 15 an hour as an entry level position, but that doesn't matter to you because you're owning your own business. So you need to cover exactly. all of the time that you're not working because odds are you will not be houring, like charging people for eight hours a day. That's just probably not going to happen. So exactly. you need to account for the rest of the time that you are not working. Exactly, because there's so much that you're doing that is not like billable hours yep. when you're working on an hourly rate. Um, and that's something that's super important to consider because there's things like updating my spreadsheet, like my accounting spreadsheet. Yeah. I'm not working for somebody else. I'm working for me. I don't get to bill that time. That's just Yeah, or marketing part or of the building job. your own blog or yes. portfolio, maintaining all that takes a lot of exactly. time and you can't charge anyone for it. So you better charge for it when you can. Yeah. So <laughs> next you talked about something that I think is particularly challenging for designers in particular, because I can see how artists would have a real big tie to their work as a writer I do too but like I'm I'm oh I'm emotionally unattached I just like keep it at arm's rate if you want to destroy this and make grammatically incorrect keywords like that's on you but um one of the biggest problems for freelancers especially designers is handling criticism and people have a lot of emotions about design and logos and branding so it's going to come up a lot more than when I'm writing a blog post and it's more information based and there's less room for emotion here but if you're doing design like business owners are going to react to that design and they might not always react well what do you do (laughs) so this is such this is something I, I probably should have included in the how when you get started what do you need you have to have thick skin you have to be able to handle criticism because that's the job like that's literally the job is getting critiqued on your design stuff because that's just you're trying to make something that's so personal to somebody's business or blog or whatever they need the design for um and they're gonna have strong feelings about it so you kind of have to let go of your work and for me I'm so beyond like being attached to it <laughs> I, I'll have clients be like I don't want to hurt your feelings but like I have I no care. feelings like what <laughs> do you, like I don't give a crap like it just yeah I'm getting paid for it regardless true so that's just, a good point just it's fine don't worry about it I personally got to be that way I guess because of an art class I took in high school um and I remember going into my first critique and just being completely traumatized. Like, it was so bad. <laughs> I had no idea what I was in for. And that has been so helpful for me, though, mm-hmm. through when I was still in school and college, when I was taking, because I took studio classes. Oh, I as took well. studio classes too. Um, and it was just like, oh my, like those critiques, it was so funny because we would get into these, you know, you would have all of your class sitting there looking at your work. And Stop, you're going to give me flashbacks. literally like 20 to 30 students sometimes just like oh this sucks because this and you're like okay and some people would take it so personally but I had just already been like trained to deal with it and it wasn't it wasn't anything personal and sometimes the critique is wrong it can be wrong Ooh, as as an English major the critique is often wrong Um, (laughs) I'd like to say a lot of grammar changes did not need to happen Um, but (laughs) that happens a lot and I imagine it happens even more in design but at the end of the day what I tell myself is they are paying for this 
And honestly, yeah, that's their problem. But I don't know. A lot of people think they're experts when they're not. Yes, that's always interesting when you get those clients that know enough to think that they're experts. Oh my god, I get editors who are like, I took an, an, a Calm 101 class, so like, here's the MLA style sheet, like, and I'm like, excuse me, no, but okay, <laughs> it's so horrible. Yeah, and it's just, it, that's definitely a hard part of it, and when you're doing like art that's just for you, that's fine, like, you can just ignore it, but when you're a freelancer and you're getting paid for it, sometimes you just have to do what they want. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, you have to, uh, within reason, there is, I think you talk yes. about a good thing where sometimes the criticism can cross into disrespect, and you need to yes. know where that boundary is, and respect it for yourself. Absolutely, because there's a difference in criticism towards your work, and literally, like, personal attacks, which, believe it or not, happens. Oh, I believe it, I know they happen. It's so, <laughs> it, I'm, like, I straight up stopped like, and took a break from freelancing for, like, Yeah, so six tell that months. story. You talked in the article briefly about an oh incident where it veered blatantly into disrespect. And, uh, like, that's hard because you don't expect that. You're, you have a professional relationship with someone, and suddenly they make it very personal. Right. And I don't know why people take their job this seriously, first of all. But <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's honestly an issue. It was bad. So I was doing, like, packaging design for a local brewery. Um probably one of the worst experiences of my life um uh yeah not good but they basically I had a design which it was actually it was an issue where with my monitor settings and why I didn't catch the issue with the color it was just something so like yeah something was wrong but instead of just being like hey like what's up with this this is kind of weird like why would Mm -hmm. it be this color because uh, it was uh, it was supposed to be like a cream color mm-hmm. and on my computer it was um, because my mo- oh, my so monitor tricky. wasn't correctly calibrated um, and for her it was like a pink color so she comes back okay. and I totally understand being like what the heck but like yeah but my first came... response wouldn't be like get the pitchforks guys we're going in she immediately <laughs> was just like oh, I know you're not a beer drinker and that you're not, because I wasn't even 21 yet. Um, she was just like, I know you're not 21, so you just couldn't possibly understand the market and blah, 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 but why would you think that blah, blah, blah? And it's like, hold on. I've seen hold a beer before horses. a lady. I'm not stupid. Like, I, I swear <laughs> it was an accident. But even when it wasn't stuff where it was like, you know, that was like an actual issue that needed to be taken care of. Sure, it wasn't handled well on her part. But there was times where it was an actual, like, there wasn't really an issue, and she just decided to throw it in my face of, like, oh, well, you're not 21, or you're not a beer drinker, you're whatever, you're so young, you don't know better. And it's like, what? No. <laughs> like, I don't, it doesn't matter my age, you still don't get to attack me personally for my work. Like, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, that's the hard, it's a hard line because you, you don't want to take criticism seriously, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's not criticism, it's an actual attack, and you're the business owner, so I'm always trying, to, I have to tell myself this all the time, because I let clients walk all over me, right. um, you have to tell yourself, like, hey, I'm the business owner, I get to choose who I work with, I do not have to work for anyone I don't want to work for, and if they're treating you like the worst ever, then just live your life and tell them to take a hike in kinder terms yeah (laughs) and you ended up having to leave that client did you not yeah it ultimately completely blew up in my face it was it will only blow up in your face really bad um like there's no way to end that kind of relationship peacefully i don't believe if they're already attacking you over small things that are literally that dumb it's not going to get better so don't tell yourself oh it's just this one time it's not gonna get better it's like just cut your ties and get out while you can if it happens once just be done like it's you really should be done because it i've never heard of a situation where they're like it was horrible and then it all turned around and you know what they were so respectful this has never happened like if they're showing you who they are early on it's not going to change. Like, yeah. that's how they, they think it's okay to treat people this way professionally. And you know it's not, so don't deal with that. Just move on. And kind of going back to the criticism in terms of, like, when we know that it's not the best decision to do whatever they want us to do. Like, it's not the correct thing to do. Mm-hmm. 
there's, I think you had sent me an article on trying to make sure that you like talk through your work. Yes, always validate your work, sell it to them. Um, In design, especially, I think a lot of new people make the mistake of sending multiple, multiple versions of like um, mock-ups or something. Like let's say you're making a logo, you might send them 10. Don't send them 10 because clients are this, a lot of times they're hiring you because they don't have a certain skill. So don't give them more choices than they can handle. Because if they're not a design expert, you're the design expert. You know the best ones here. And you should sell them on the best one. And how this person in this article did it was they gave three possible logos two weren't that great and then the third one was the best one and so by positioning the best one around the other two and then being like this is why this one's so great um you're really selling it to the clients because you're also a marketer you're not just a designer so being able to market your own designs to your clients is a big part of the job and i think sometimes we feel like giving them more choices will make them happier i don't think that's true like it's just not gonna happen and i like to do that with clients too even as a writer like i will tell them what to choose basically and i will tell them why um, and I will sort of hold their hand and lead them in that direction because sometimes they, they really don't know and they're looking for guidance. Yes. So that's definitely something that I wish I had done more of early on um, because it's just something I never even really thought about. It was just like, I'm just trying to make you happy. and Yeah, you, you it makes sense. Stuff. It makes sense so. to give them as many choices as possible. But at the end of the day, they hired you because they probably don't want to make that many choices yeah and they want someone to sort of tell them the best choice so giving them fewer options might help that issue sort of not happen as much where they're nitpicking tiny things because you've already shown them like the right path right and one thing I run into a lot as a designer is issues with like copyright type stuff where they want me to use stuff that I literally am like, I legally cannot use this. Like, that just doesn't work. Particularly with, like, fonts or, like, stock stock imagery. Um, because I've had clients be like, here's this image from Google. Can you use this? Oh, no. God. No. <laughs> I cannot use that. Like, it's not... I understand because they... It's like, yes, please sign this letter from my lawyer first. Right. And then we're we're good to go. So, but I guess for me, it was something that I learned really early on in like blogging that you can't do that. So for me, it was just common knowledge. But I guess for somebody older that's not, hasn't been in that world, it's not as common knowledge. It's not as... Yeah, and if you, a lot of them are small business owners. They might be first-time business owners. Right. They really might not recognize the legality. So I think being able to show them alternatives, be like, no, we can't use those stock photos, but like, I know some free stock photo websites. Let's look at those. Right. Or something like that might be a a healthy way to handle it. But to wrap things up, um, y'all need a contract. And there are three specific things to talk about with contracts that you pointed out that I have never talked about because I don't do these, but I would tell you all to read my post on freelancer contracts and I have a free one you can use, but Sarah has three specific things that you as a designer need to have in your contracts. So please talk about those. File types is the first thing. So this is something I had no freaking clue about when I started. Um, It actually was something that ended up biting me in the ass later because it was just so, it it was something I didn't really consider. So with the terrible client that I mentioned before with the whole (laughs) personal attacking me thing, when I severed ties with them, they were like, well, you need to send me all of your final, like all of your files. Actually, they said all of my files because she's petty, but. (laughs) They're all hers. Everything on your computer is hers. (laughs) So I had to provide my working files because we didn't have a written agreement, which was a a mistake on my part. Um, But you don't have to have a contract in which you provide. So what are working working files? files. Let's say I have no idea what that even is, first of all. Um, Photoshop, Illustrator. So when you save a document as like a Photoshop document that you can go back to and edit, that's your working file versus an image like a JPEG or a PNG or whatever that can't be edited. Right, exactly. Not, like, liter- not, yeah, not, not in the same way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, it's important to make that decision for yourself. I, it, I think it really just depends. I don't really think that there's one right way with if you do or don't provide uh, your working files. Mm-hmm. The thing is that 
a lot of designers will actually charge a fee for providing their working files because they want to I discourage it because they want you to come back to them and hire them. Yeah, because if they have your working files, they can hire someone else to do it. Yes. So, But I mean, they might do that anyway. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Exactly. I guess it's up to you. So that's kind of a whole just thing you have to decide on. I personally provide mine because I just don't want to deal with the mess. Yeah, I wouldn't it. want to deal with it either. It's just not worth it. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, if they're going to hire someone else, they're going to do that regardless of whether or not you provide these files. So it might right. be the best way to like salvage a relationship or just like get the testimonial you need or right. get paid. So, so that just kind of depends. It's up to you. Um, refund policy. I think that this is such a like a hard area because if you get halfway through the process and they're like I don't like anything I don't want this like mm-hmm. you've already done work and you need to get paid for that period totally um because a lot of times it's not your fault if it's yeah not going honestly well. they might not have even known what they wanted and they got started and they were like no 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 exactly. so they need to figure out what they want before they're ready to work with someone and that's going to happen a lot it does happen in writing too I think everyone needs a refund policy in their mm-hmm. um in their contract so you say that you should accept like a 50% deposit before work even begins and that yes. that money is non-refundable, which I think is a yes. great idea. That's what I do for like set price projects. That's been mm-hmm. the best thing for me um, because, well, I wasn't doing it before and I was having issues getting paid. Um, so that was really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And plus then, if a client pays 50% upfront, I feel like they're more likely to follow through at the end because definitely. they've already shown they're committed. So exactly, that exactly. sort of puts some risk on their end into it. So they're more likely to actually follow up. <laughs> right. And they're not going to like, like they can't get the money back. They can't screw you. Yeah. Over so they might as well try. <laughs> so I had, I did actually have a client that paid a deposit disappear on me. Um, oh, well, that's uh, that's that stupid on their end. It was sort of weird, and I, I probably should follow up. It's been a year now. I would give up if it's been that just, long. You got your 50%, move on. Like, I literally, it was, yeah. So that was one of those cases where I was really glad I took the 50% yeah. since they didn't finish the project. Because if they so had what not, do you do with hourly, though? For hourly, I have a policy. So right now, my current client is pretty, like, it's fairly lax. It's more lax than right. you should be with your hourly clients, especially mm-hmm. if you don't have a relationship with them. Um, but generally, when I was still doing hourly for, like, the brewery, I the, actually, the, one of the reasons that we ended up splitting up is I decided to start implementing late fees and a strict yeah. deadline for hourly work, and she really did not like that. It was a oh, big God, deal. This girl needs but help. I know. <laughs> Then, okay, funny story. The the brewery closed because I I'm guess so I wasn't surprised. making any money, but now, now, <laughs> now they now they opened a restaurant. Um, oh, don't Or they eat bought there. a restaurant and are, like, no. redoing it. Anyway, that was interesting. But I basically had a, okay, hourly invoices must be paid within two weeks. And after that, I, you mm-hmm. start incurring late fees. Um, my current client literally will pay it within like an hour, which is wonderful. That's good. At the latest, he'll pay because I invoice on the last Friday of every month. So sometimes I get paid like Monday, just depending on what's going on for them that weekend. But like typically, I get paid that day. Um, it just sort of varies with literally whatever's mm-hmm. going on. <laughs> so not a big yeah. deal because I'm like. I expect to get paid Monday, and then if I'm paid earlier, great. That's good. Cool. Um, yeah, I think a refund policy, or not a, wow. I think uh, the two-week uh, deadline is a good idea. I do late fees as well, but I think that's a good way to show clients you're serious. And also, yeah. if they don't pay, stop working for them yes. immediately. As soon as a client doesn't pay and it's past due, you stop working. And you just, I worked at this agency and people would not pay and we would just keep working on their stuff. And I was like, why? And it was very strange. So don't do that. So if it goes past due, you drop everything and you will not resume working until you've been paid. If the client follows up, you say, hey, you're actually past due. As soon as that comes in, we can get started on X, Y, and Z. So you just got to like take yourself seriously and follow through on those things on your contract. Yeah. So that's a good way. And then to like wrap it up. So I, cause I know we're rambling on forever. The watermarking. Um, 
I don't watermark my files, but it can be a good way to protect yourself from clients just plain stealing your work, but I honestly just found it to be not worth my time. Really tedious and not necessarily good for your relationship with your client because they feel like you don't trust them, so why should they trust you? Kind of a thing. Can be a weird, weird vibes happening. Um, and then they can kind of, like, it can be hard with such, like, visual stuff, especially with something like a logo where you're really trying to finesse something that they're going to use for a long time. You don't want, like, you don't want anything obscuring what it really looks like on its own. As much as you can try to do, like, subtle watermarks that won't mess with it, like, it's still a watermark that's, like, across your, your image. Um, so that's just something to consider. If you want to watermark it, that's a good way to protect yourself. I personally just don't find it to be worthwhile for myself. So. Yeah, I think it could make sense to maybe watermark, um, like, the initial things you do with mm -hmm. a client. Like, maybe if you found some questionable person on Upwork and you don't really have a relationship with them yet, could be a good way to start it yeah. out. And then after you've built up some trust, maybe you don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, but it's something you might want to include in your contract. If you do decide to use watermarks, I think it would be important to cover that in the contract just so they're not like, how dare you? And then you're like, hello, you signed. Yeah, definitely. And then our final thoughts are on self-care as a yes. graphic designer. Your I favorite. I really self-care is like a freelancer as a whole. You, if I think I said that I really, I blog about lifestyle and mental health and self-care. So I talk about self-care like a lot, like a lot, a lot. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't leave off with this without talking about it. So it's really important when you're freelancing to figure out what kind of things you need to do to be able to take care of yourself because it can be really high stress compared to something like a normal desk job mm -hmm. where there's it's just a lot harder because when you're at like a normal desk job you work nine to five and you just kind of like get paid on time and there's just like a I didn't always get paid on time it's at different. my nine to five so that's true that's true <laughs> that does happen um but I think it's really important. One of the things I've talked about a lot when I'm talking about like self-care in relation to work and freelancing is setting really healthy boundaries. Yeah, I just um, did an episode on this and I'm a filthy liar because I have no boundaries, but it's in theory <laughs> boundaries are good. They are really good. So like for me, what I started with when I realized, oh crap, this is not working. I have to like set some boundaries was setting like times that I worked so that I wasn't working super late at night and like wasn't available for email at like 9 p.m. like that I that's just wasn't what I wanted to do because I was losing my mind doing that oh, all the for time sure. um and then another thing I did to help with that is I stopped giving out my phone number to clients and this happened because I had somebody that literally like gave my phone number to their print guy to call that is me so whack. for something. And I was like, I don't know this guy, for one. I don't have his number. I don't know who the heck is calling <laughs> me. I'm, like, eating dinner and watching TV. Like, leave me alone. Like, what is happening? Um, so after that, I stopped. I don't really do client calls at all anymore because I hate them. I hate them too, <laughs> but, but I gotta do them. for em. that reason, just that privacy and having that boundary of, like, yeah, I only work when, like, within my hours. You don't just get to have 24-hour access to me. Yeah, totally. Um, and that's something you can write into your contract. So you can always be, like, office hours or, like, um, office hours is usually what it's called, are between, like, X and Y. Like, maybe you're only available by email at, from noon to, like, 5 p.m., something like that. You can totally write that into your contract, and there's no reason you should feel obligated to respond outside of those hours if you've already told the client of this. Right. And then the next one is respecting the, just like your work and client stuff, like dealing with difficult clients like we've already talked about. Um, cutting out clients that are just not good for you and that don't respect you oh, and don't respect your time. You're calling me out I right now. I am calling you out right now. <laughs> um, I that's can't so do important. It. <laughs> so like if your clients are not respect respecting those boundaries or like, for example, I had the thing with adding in late fees and like a deadline for my hourly stuff with that one client she didn't respect that and didn't agree with that so we parted ways because she didn't you're running your own business you get to have rules and you get to have 
like yeah like think of a regular life. business like you wouldn't go to starbucks at 2 a.m and be like hello why aren't you open service me <laughs> i need this right now so like it's it's pretty reasonable for people to expect the same of you exactly but for some reason when you're a freelancer a lot of business owners will be like they must be available 24-7. They are my slave. Like, I get to talk to them whenever I want. Which is so not true because it's like, okay, for one, a lot of freelancers will work an additional job or they'll be in school or oh, they'll be sure. doing something else. Or they have other clients, exactly. first of all. Every one of my clients seems to think they are the only clients <laughs> I work with. And I'm like, yes, I survive on this somehow, right? I, I guess. I just, I only need like $200 a week to live. You're right. Thank you for your service. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Definitely. And last but not least, you said. Just kind of being patient with yourself and getting everything together. I think it's really easy to get frustrated with like, being like not making as much money as other freelancers that you see online and chances are they're not making as much they're money lying to as you they say they are <laughs> exactly um and making sure just just chill it's okay you don't have to go from zero to 100 it's it's a slow process building up clients it's a slow process learning how to work with clients and learning what works for you and your business so be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself and don't kill yourself for crappy clients. Like, Ugh. just give it Preach. up, set the boundaries, and, and enjoy the ride. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a beautiful song. Um, <laughs> that was well, that was very helpful. Um, hopefully, if anyone was a new freelancer or wants to get into graphic design, this gave them some perspective. So let everyone know where to find you. Okay. So you can find me at Sarah Strives on Instagram, and my website is just sarahstrives.com. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, all that, whatever. Um, and then my freelance site is thesarahmiller.com, um, and I don't think any of my social media for that is active right now, so just the website. <laughs> Fair enough. And you have your own podcast. Oh my god, yeah, I have my own podcast. I forgot. Um, <laughs> I have a podcast called Me, Myself, and You that is all about mental health, self-care, life stuff in relation to that. So, yeah. Yeah, there's good freelancer tips on there, too. It all applies. Definitely. Across the board. It's full circle. Well, thank you for joining me on my podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me again. That's it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed the topics that we covered today. I think they're really valuable, even if you're not a designer, if you're just any kind of freelancer, it's really important to think about things like criticism and how to deal with client relations and how to get started. So hopefully you really enjoyed Sarah's discussion and you can check her out at sarahstrives.com for more mental health related stuff. We've also done some previous podcasts in the past, like on mental wellness and like how to be a freelancer and not be stressed all the time. And I've also covered similar contract topics on this podcast and on my blog, so check all those out. You can also see the show notes and other information and resources at offbeatgrad.com. So have a productive week. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.